but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, whether we were awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now, we ask you to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and to admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Thanks, Joy. Two encouraging bits of news for us from the last week. Firstly, um, Tom Collins was elected as councillor. And secondly, Aaron and Louise Tyndall have had a baby boy. <laughs> little, little Robert. Um, we look forward to welcoming him here. Both Tom and the Tyndalls could do with our encouragement now and our prayers now. We're talking about encouragement this morning, but I thought we could just pray for them. Um, uh, Robert was born a month early, is still uh, in hospital, um, still a few things to um, strengthen up before um, it's plain sailing for them. Um, and Tom adds the councillor role to an already impossible portfolio of um, life that he is courageously taking on. So Father God, we pray for your continued blessing. Thank you for your calling. Thank you for your deliverance. Thank you for the life and the hope that there always is in you. And we pray uh, for Tom, that you equip him with every bit of wisdom, strength, energy, tenacity that he will need. And we pray for little Robert, that you have your hand on his life this morning. Bring healing, bring strength. Uh, lead him on all his life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Right, the first thing, the first thing that I'd like uh, to know this morning is which of the following sentences do you have an issue with? Do we have any grammar nerds in the house this morning? Someone, I heard someone say recently that grammar is glamour, so we'll go with that. A, B, or C, or indeed all three. Perhaps you need a bit of context. To, uh, to help you make your judgments. The first one is Jamie Redknapp, who's a football, once footballer, now football pundit, um, and he is a serial abuser of the word literally. This is, of course, a figurative expression, the exact opposite of literal. I love a good fi figurative expression, don't get me wrong, except when you shove the word literally in the, the middle of it. 
So that's the problem with that one. What about number two? The context for this one is, is a friend of mine stood up in front of a church, not this church, um, stood up in front of a, a church, full, a room full of people, getting excited about this new ministry endeavor that she was about to take part in. And she was so excited. She was like, it's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be incredible. And then when she got down, someone who was a sort of similar pedantic nature to myself, perhaps, um, said, you know, you really shouldn't use the word incredible like that because um, it literally means unbelievable. Like, you people are, it's, it's not credible. It's, it's people are unable to believe. What, and in the context of, you know, evangelistic mission, it perhaps isn't the best word. And she was deflated and she was gutted as she was telling me about this silly person who'd sort of taken issue with her. Word. And I have to say... It wasn't me who was taking issue with her, silly word. But I have to say, as I was listening to her, my sympathies were split a little bit. <laughs> the, the third one, the context for this one, this is a certain young mother who I'm well acquainted with, who, um, while she was pregnant, uh, one morning, several mornings in fact, oh, I'm just feeling so nauseous this morning. And of course, technically speaking, the word nauseous is is to be applied to something that is inducing of nausea. The, so like, that smell is nauseous, so it's making me feel sick. It's making me nauseated, okay? And she was an English teacher as well. So, um, <laughs> and, um, and so she'd come in and say, oh, I'm feeling so nauseous this morning, and I'd say, no, I wouldn't say, that's creeps. <laughs> Inside my head, it would be like, well, you know, for sure, darling, you don't look your best this morning, but it's a fairly harsh self-assessment because I don't actually feel sick looking at you. <laughs> These are the silly thoughts that you, you keep to yourself inside your head, right? The marriage course teaches you these uh, things. So it may be continuing in this unattractive pedantry to um, take issue, but I'm going to, with, um, or suggest issue, with our common use of the word Christian. You know, we say like, I'm a, I became a Christian, or um, are you a Christian yet? And of course what we mean is, did you, have, you, did, have I, um, or that was when I said yes. That's when I said on some level my, my yes to the grace of God. That's when I began to believe. That's when um, I said yes to his offer of forgiveness and new life. That's when I became a Christian. But technically speaking, perhaps, no, I think, Genuinely, technically speaking, the word Christian literally means, literally means like Christ. And so when someone asks me, are you a Christian? A good answer is, well, that remains to be seen. Or, um, I don't know, you tell me, I'm, 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 I'm trying, but to, to what extent does my life actually look like Christ? The, the radical, self-emptying, sacrificial love of Jesus? Not a lot, actually. So um, I quite like that aspirational use. It's sort of, I'm, I'm aspiring to be a Christian. Maybe one day I'll become a bit more Christian, a bit more like Christ. So I quite liked it when I heard of a spat in a vicarage near you, especially if you live up in Barbourn. And it was a spat between a few siblings. And I think one of them had hit the other one, which evoked the ultimate insult, which was, and you're not even a Christian. <laughs> How great is that? From the lips of a seven-year-old or whatever. And you're not even a Christian. Because the question is, with this, you know, the idea that I'm just getting at in this bit is, to what extent is the big story 
echoing in our lives? To what extent is the big story echoing in you, in me? That's what we're talking about, all this one another stuff. It's about this, this big story of God's grace and generosity and kindness, his love, today his encouragement. How is that big story echoing in our lives and how we are with one another? And today, the two things to notice about the big story, and they are these, that it is redefining and it's teleological, which is a long word that I'll explain in a minute, it has nothing to do with tea. But come with me, it's the um, autumn of 1994, and uh, we are freshly inspired by USA 94, which was the Football World Cup, and uh, my little tiny little primary school, which was called All Saints, incidentally enough, in Cardiff, my tiny little primary school has got a new teacher, Mr. Jones. He's the first male teacher in the school. He is a semi-pro footballer. He was probably at the tail end of his career when he was coming. This guy was my hero. He was the year six teacher, and he quickly organized these year fives and year sixes who were up for it into this little first attempt at a football team. So this is my first ever football match. I'm nine years old, 1994. And we put our boots on, and I had these purple plastic little high-tech boots, which the other boys and girls laughed at. Uh, but then Mr. Jones said, no, I, no I, I used to wear high techs. They are good boots. That stopped them laughing. This guy was my hero, you can imagine. And then there's this goal line scramble halfway, partway through this mess of a football match that was our first attempt. And I'm, on the, I'm defending on the goal line, and a bit of mud flicks into my eye, and it took me out. I was lying on, like a true footballer, crying on the floor. My parents used to think that I had a low pain threshold growing up, and Laura still does, but the, I am, I'm there. I'm convinced this is the end of my match. I need to be substituted off. And what did Mr. Jones do? He came up alongside, got down, he picked me up, he rubbed the mud away from my eye, gave it a squirt with a bit of magic water, and then he said this to me, he said, come on, Owen. We need you out there. You're one of our key players. I still remember those words. You're one of our key players. As this tearful little nine-year-old boy, you know, started to get himself together, started to pull it together, started to breathe a bit heavier like one of the key players, which was obviously a load of nonsense because this was our first ever football match. I was as bad as everyone else, but, you know, just chasing the ball around the pitch, which is not what you're supposed to do. But I still remember what he said to me, he believed in me. And my fragile little nine-year-old heart in that moment, like determined to, to yeah, I'm going to get back out there and contribute to our first historic loss. <laughs> but there we are. I love that verse in Hebrews 12 that talks about the blood of Jesus being this, um, speaking a better word over our lives. It's contrasting it with, you know, the, the blood of Abel, but the blood of Christ speaks a better word, this redefining, it's this radical redefining word of the gospel that takes our, you know, what would we be guilty, ashamed, hopeless, loser, disqualified, we've got mud in our eye, whatever it is, and he takes that 
And instead, in Christ, what do we get? We get accepted, clean, son, daughter, qualified. You're a key player. This is the redefining nature of the big story. And the other thing is it's teleological, which is just a fancy word for saying that this is going somewhere. Telos is Greek word for end. So it's like this has got the end in mind. This isn't just a sort of random, nice, kind word for the moment. Actually, this big story is going somewhere. There is a beautiful destiny of things into healing, into wholeness. And our little part that we get picked up and involved in takes us and transforms us and is transforming us and will transform us into more glorious versions of ourselves than we can even imagine now. That is the, that's where it's going. That's, it's going somewhere. This big story is redefining us and it's teleological and it's a good end in mind. So Mr. Jones's words to me on the pitch that day in 1994, they could not have been grounded in much of the reality that he saw before his eyes that day. And yet the effects that they had on that little nine-year-old wannabe footballer was to, to pick him up and turn him into the most glittering sports star that you have ever seen with professional career and goals and player of the year. And that is where the analogy falls down. But um, because that did not happen, um, I'm finishing my career probably with All Saints if we arrange another, <laughs> began at All Saints, finishing at All Saints if we arrange another match. Um, but actually, it just, it's about breathing confidence. It's about calling out potential. It's not necessarily right there before, all of it is right there before your eyes. It won't all be there before your eyes. But actually, we get this job of speaking and encouraging and drawing out. And that is a way that this big story that is redefining and teleological can echo and emanate out of us in how we are with one another. Encourage one another. So much of the New Testament is literally believers encouraging one another. That's what it is, like the, the letters that are, are written. As early hoping to be Christians, aspiring Christians, are writing to each other, saying, come on, you can do this. For example, let's have a look. Hebrews 3, exhort one another every day. Hebrews 10, Stir one another up to love and good works. Encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. It's like, yeah, have the end in mind, you know. This is, this is going somewhere. Ephesians 4. No corrupting talk. Only such as, as is good for building up, as fits the occasion. That it might give grace to those who hear. I think Rich said it last week about we get to extend the grace of God into other people's lives. That's what all of this is about. Extending the encouragement of God, the, the force of God, the stuff of God, the call, the encouragement into people's lives. It's not, encouragement is not rocket science, right? But it is far more significant than that. The results echo on into eternity, way beyond the NASA space program, and that's long forgotten. Actually, what we get to be a part of is people and calling out people towards the beautiful destiny of things. Romans 15, build one another up 
um, blah, 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 it talks a bit more, and it has this other phrase, the God of, I think it's the God of endurance and encouragement, it says later on. The word for encouragement behind not all of these examples, but it's, it's used no less than I think 109, 110 times in the New Testament is parakaleo, which literally means to come alongside and encourage. Now, Jesus is with the disciples, and um, he's about to, you know, in these weeks before Pentecost, um, the resurrected Christ appears to the disciples, and he says, um, I'm going to go, but I'm going to send another paraclete, is the word, another comforter, another encourager. The word is literally someone who comes alongside and encourages. So just as Jesus had been with disciples and was sort of calling out all sorts of truth and beauty and life in them, a new way of being, he's saying, I'm out of here, but actually I'm going to send another. There's another way that God is going to be radically present amongst his people, coming alongside, empowering, calling out. This is the God of Parakletos, the God of Parakaleonus, the God of coming alongside and calling out and encouraging. And we get to echo some of that in how we are, in who we are. So we're going to focus just on one of these, and that's the top one, actually, the encourage one another bit that Joy read. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the very young group, and young as in the community was very young, in uh, a place called Thessaloniki, which is, has anyone been to Thessaloniki? Yes, it is, I think, the second largest city in Greece currently. Back then, it was a pretty big deal as well. It was the regional capital of the Roman province of Macedonia, I think. The, um, uh, it was probably about the same size as Worcester currently is in terms of population. I expect condensed into a much denser footprint. Um, here's a little picture. And this was the, so Thessaloniki is now this big city, so it's all been built on top of whatever was. And so when they're taking away the bus depot, they find underneath it basically a Roman shopping mall. So you can go and see that um, today if you want. Uh, that's Thessalonica, Thessaloniki. Um, it's not long since Paul has been there. And he, he arrived in town, showed up at the synagogue, taught for three um, consecutive Sabbaths, three Saturdays. He was there exploring the scriptures, talking about Jesus. Was Jesus the fulfillment of all of this stuff? Yes, he was. He's appeared, died, resurrected. You can believe in him too. This is the, this is the way. This is um, what God is doing amongst us. And he was staying at a guy called Jason's house until Jason gets dragged out by the opponents of Paul, who can hear what he's saying and hear how radical this is and how upsetting of the status quo and those in power are going to take issue with that. So they grab Jason, they pull him outside, and they drag him before the city authorities. And, and there's a big kerfuffle that ends up in them taking a load of money as a sort of, um, what's the word? Not a bribe. When you, um, no, like a security against Bail, that's the word I'm looking for, sorry. Yes, they, so they, Jason is sort of bailed, and anyway, the result is that Paul and Silas, his partner in crime, have to slip out at night down the road. They find themselves down the road in Corinth, 200 miles-ish south 
of Thessaloniki, and they're obviously concerned for this group of believers that was very quickly formed as people responded and believed, as people not became Christians, but as people, um, you know, it was happening, this community was happening. So he, Paul sends Timothy back to check out what's going on, and then Timothy comes back down to Paul at Corinth with a report as to what's going on, and what he reports is that actually people, there's a bit of confusion and discouragement amongst the people, and it seems to largely stem from the fact that some of them had died. Some of the believers had died in that short time, and they, were, they seemed to be under the impression that actually Jesus was supposed to save them all from experiencing death, um, wasn't he? And the second coming and, and all of that was, and so it, they're all in this confusion. And we might smile at some of their sort of theological ideas or outlook, yet they did not have 2,000 years of church history, theology, debates, thoughts behind them. They had three weeks. It was perhaps three weeks of the Apostle Paul, but nevertheless, it was just three weeks. And so straight away, what Paul does is he writes back to them to clarify the situation, to encourage them to sort of pick them back up and put them back together, explaining some better theology around what to expect and how it's going to be. And actually, it doesn't matter for those who have fallen asleep or those who are still awake. Actually, all of us are held. Such is the extent of the victory of Christ over death. So he's saying all this stuff. You can read about it. And within the midst of that, he's saying, encourage one another. Just, and do you see how he's doing it? Let's just have a look. Verse 9, um, we're not destined for God's wrath, but for salvation. See how it's good to keep the end in mind. This is where things are going. Verse 10, and it's salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. It's the cross of Christ that is speaking this radically redefining word over everything. And we can enter into that. We can be a part of that. So it's in the light of this story, this big story of hope, that we, verse 11, are to therefore encourage one another just as you are doing, he says. See, Paul is doing it, just a little lesson in encouragement straight out of Paul there. He encourages them to be encouragers by affirming what he already sees. He's calling it out. That's often how it works. In the next verses, he's got that bit about um, respecting and esteeming your leaders, which is the only reason, really, that I picked this reading be read out of all the hundreds of others that I could have chosen. No, he's probably, that bit's there. It's probably because these guys, he's, he's realizing that this, this group are overly dependent on him. And he's trying to sort of wean them off him onto those that have been entrusted to lead in his absence. Uh, but then he urges them to admonish the idol and write side by side that to encourage the faint-hearted again. And there's this heartbeat of being patient, of bearing with, of looking out for each other, of flesh, putting flesh on the fact that we are in this together, that your destiny is tied up with mine, and um, therefore it's not about me getting ahead of you, or it's not about me writing anyone off. Actually, it's about taking the time to see each other properly, taking the time to notice, taking the time to speak to, to build one another up, to put courage into people, it's, um, that's, the, that's the deal. We get to do the same. 
we get to come alongside, cheer people on, to affirm goodness wherever we find it, to call out the truth, to pull people into potential, to build each other up. So who has done that for you, I wonder? Who's come alongside you over the years, perhaps? Who's come alongside you and put courage into you? And who have you encouraged lately? Are you any good at this stuff? Some people really are. It just comes naturally to them, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, Laura, my wife, will be um, an example of that in my mind. Um, it seems to be that no matter who is in front of her, no matter what sort of situation is in front of her, she can find something genuine and heartfelt to, to say and, and to affirm, and it's a beautiful thing. I'm, sat, I'm often stood right next to her, talking to the same person with the same situation in front of me, and running through my head, to be honest, is more likely to be ah, all of those things that I find really annoying or frustrating or... Do you, know what, do you know what would be much better? And, and you know, all of these sort of things going through my head. So I've come up with these four, no, three, I think, encouragements. And I'm preaching to myself here, encouraging me to be more encouraging. And, you know, and maybe some of you could use some of this as well. So here we go. Number one, it's not just, I've sort of said this already, it's not just about what is, it is about what is becoming. So you know when you're like feeling disingenuous about you know, saying something nice or positive and you think, oh, well, what about, but what about, what about? It's not about describing a static status quo. It's about coming alongside and cheering onwards towards the coming fullness. So absolutely, it can be sometimes about straining hard to see that glimmer of light and goodness, but then naming it encouraging it, breathing on that bit, and then watching it grow before your eyes. A couple of weeks back, it was bedtime in Gallica household, and um, I brought a mirror into Karis and Morgan's room, and I held it up to Karis's face, and I said, Karis, what do you see? And she said, I see Karis. And I said, I see a, kind, a really kind girl. Because do you know what you did? Because I'd seen her that afternoon. I, explained, I said, that after, earlier on, I saw you um, try to give away your, your little frozen bag to your friend, who it turned out didn't want it. And, and it was just one of those awkward moments. But she, in that moment, she was so kind. And, and yes, we've had the screaming ad-dabs since then all afternoon and all other things I could have said. But do you know what? It's like, no, I... And she, she, you could just see this, like, ah. And then Morgan was over there, and I hadn't really considered this, and he wanted to turn. So I was like, oh, okay, Morgan, what do you see? Morgan, he says. And I say, I see, I see a boy who's really good at jumping. <laughs> That's all I could manage to come out with. <laughs> but he loved it. It was great. And then I turned the mirror on myself, and I see an overly intense dad. But, um, but it's about... It's about calling, calling, building people up towards the future that the grace of God has for them. Calling out the truth and beauty of who they are. Number two, 
beware the negativity bias. Now, we're going to repeat, we're going to try and remake a 1998 psychology experiment, if you're up for that. So, what if you, <laughs> I think you're in the mood for this this morning, so we're going to do what I like to do, if you want to participate in this, um, if you do want to be just an independent observer, that's fine. But if you'd like to participate, you need to put two fingers on this side of your skull and two fingers on this side of your skull. And I couldn't afford a proper cerebral cortex monitor uh, for all of you, so your fingers are having to... But hopefully you'll be able to feel your brain activity. Um, I wish I had a photo of us all now. Uh, okay, what was, what's going to happen is we're going to... Um, you do not have $5 to join in this research, I'm sorry. Um, but the, which I think the original participants in Ohio did. But what you're going to be shown is a series of photographs, and you're just going to measure your brain activity as it responds to... There's five photographs, and let's see what happens. Number one, please. Number two. Number three. Number four. Number five. Okay, you can take that down now. And what the um, researchers discovered, and hopefully that was echoed in what you felt going through your fingers, is that, um, and if you could be hooked up to a proper monitor, what you'd have found is that um, the neutral one, you know, the plate, the hairdryer, etc., they were just sort of our baseline. But then there was a decidedly positive image, which was the roller coaster, hopefully, for most of us. And uh, there was a decidedly negative image at the end. And the, the surge in brain activity was quite a lot larger for the negative one than it was for the positive one. Lots of different results of uh, investigations, research has been trying to, you know, getting a handle on, it's not just that ropey uh, experiments that <laughs> we're talking about. This negativity bias is this thing in psychology. It works on what we hear about ourselves. It works on what we perceive in others. It is present in children. And the theory links it perhaps to survival mechanism, how it's, it's more critically important to uh, be aware of the negative and to dodge these threats to your survival than it is just to celebrate the, the good times. The negativity balance, the bias, this is so strong that it requires five equally significant um, encouragements to balance one negative. You kind of know that. How you, you, know, you can't just weigh in with the five negative things and expect that one good thing to be heard. It's the other way around. It's not about never holding people to account. It's not about never braving the painful truth that sometimes needs to be heard. But that stuff can only be a part of building one another up when it's more than compensated by the positive stuff that demonstrates the heart of the matter, that your heart is for that other person. I was talking to someone this week who said that they try to live by this little sort of um, mantra almost, and they said that we, I try to write my criticism in dust and my praise in marble, which I thought was brilliant. And they were talking about how um, 
where there is the need to occasionally offer critique, it's best to do that face-to-face, -face, just in the midst of conversation. And, then, and in these hopefully more frequent times where you find yourself with something encouraging to say, why not write it in marble? Why not write it down? Why not have it in such a way, put it in that card, such a way that someone can hold on to that? And that's the stuff that is longer lasting. That's the stuff to carve into marble. Who knows? They might even put it into their little folder of stuff to keep for that rain. Do you have one of those? I do. Where, where on those, those sort of days where you've been beaten up by life or whatever, and you need some encouragement as to why the heck am I, you know, who am, what, am I, what am I doing? And you can open this folder, and you could even put stuff into people's fo Write your crit Let's say that together. Write your criticism in dust and your praise in marble. Criticism in dust, praise in marble. Praise the Lord. Beware the negativity bias. It's five to one. Five to one. Okay, number three, it's not all about words. You know Barnabas? I'll speed up with these. This is the third, this is the final one. You know Barnabas in the New Testament? He used to be called Joseph. You can read about it in Acts chapter four, but the apostles renamed him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, quite possibly because he had a whole field and he sold it all and he threw it into the central part, the whole lot. Sometimes the most encouraging thing you can do is take out 200 pounds or whatever and put it in someone else's hand and say, look, I believe in you, what you're doing. I want to help you do that. Sometimes it's not about words, it's not about money, it's about presence. It's about getting in the car and driving to that person on that day or in the wake of that event and just being with them. And any words are kind of offensive in some of those scenarios, but the encouraging thing is, look, you're here, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere. This has happened, but you know what, God is here. And the other thing I wanted to say is that if you're not a natural at this whole encouraging others stuff, do you know what? It can actually mean more when it comes out of your mouth. It can, you know, if you don't normally, if you're not known for your cheerleading, when you do open your mouth, it sounds like, it comes out like double concentrate, you know, which is not a call to... Um, save it up or anything like that. It's a call to like, come on, what are you waiting for? It's going to be so good when you get on board with the encouraging stuff. How many of those messages that we write out or that you maybe you received start with the line, I should have said this a long time ago. I've been meaning to say this for ages. Let's get on with it. Let's just jump in and be a encouraging community. Let's do it now. Sometimes you've got to be deliberate about it. When I was a teenager, I remember writing out a list of a load of friends, cause, and there were some that you know, I found it easy to, yeah, aren't they brilliant at that? Aren't they wonderful, aren't they? And there were others that were so much more difficult, and I just waited deliberately, like, come on, Owen, come on, you can do it. What, what, what is it? Until I, my poor imagination was able to, like, yes, do you know what? I was able to start to see them properly. I was able to see some of the value and goodness and what God had put into their lives and what he, 
was growing out of them. So, encourage one another. It's not rocket science. It's much more significant than that. It's coming alongside people. It's calling them through into the sweet destiny of things, out of corruption and into truth. Amen. Shall we stand? And the band are going to come. We've got one song to sing together. But let's pray. Let's pray before we do that. As with all these things, uh, we pray, Lord God, first that we might receive your kindness to us. Come, Holy Spirit, come move amongst us. Come alongside us. Come breathe your life back into us. Pray for those who are going through unbelievably difficult situations. Stuff that they never imagined they would be going through. And we pray, God, come alongside them now. Come bring your profound encouragement. We pray... For those of us who have got little idea of who we're becoming, struggle with confidence, struggle with joy, God, we pray that you would come alongside, come and breathe of your good possibility, your destiny. Pray for the self-absorbed. Would you help us to notice others? Help us to take enough time that we might build up, not tear down. And we pray especially for parents, for teachers, for all of those speaking into young people's lives. God, give vision. Give us eyes to see what could be. Give wisdom, give words, give moments. So breathe upon us, breath of God.